Plot twists. Candy candy floss. Movie tickets. I'm not already good at this. Story arcs. Plot twists. I said plot. Uh, oh. The plot thickens. Oh, Charles Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> Thrillers, serial killers, sharks, good guys, bad guys, dinosaurs, great white sharks, greater white sharks, fast cars, directors, fast women, comedies, dramas, sci-fi, rom-coms, robots, sequels, prequels, VHS, Blu-ray. That's enough, isn't it? That's all right, yeah. I'm James. I'm Maxie. And this is Popped Corn. They're ancient. We're not going to make it. They're angry. Pissed off. And they're out for revenge. Oh, my God. Hello and welcome to another episode of Popped Corn, where we watch B-grade films with the hope that they're so bad that they're good. I'm Maxie, and with me in our Sydney studios is James. Hello. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Sweating it out in this uh, Sydney heat wave that we're currently experiencing. Yeah, the 40 degrees, and also, may I add to that, that uh, we've just switched off the air conditioning for the benefit of uh, better listening. Because of the sound recording. Uh, the things we do. The sacrifices we make. The sweat that we drip. Indeed. Shall we go on? Yeah. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing Triassic Attack and see whether it lives up to the best of what B-grade films have to offer. A formulaic storyline, hopefully with inconsistencies, poor production quality, lesser known or a has-been cast, low budget, and of course, laughable quotes. First, we'll start off by discussing the cast and the plot. A little bit later, we'll play that game searchimdb.com to see how highly the film features using that popular film and television website search engine. And then last but not least, we'll each score the film out of a maximum five kernels. So, James, um, do you want to take us through the cast and the plot? Sure thing. Uh, this movie set in Oregon, I think it's probably about five or six years ago based on the technology we saw in the movie. It's a 2010 film. Is it? Mm. Uh, a university buys some land from the locals um, who refuse to leave and start a protest. The sheriff, Jake Roundtree, arrests a local Native American man named Dakota uh, for leading the protest, who is also his uncle by marriage, uh, and releases him from prison. The sheriff's 17-year-old daughter is Savannah Roundtree, uh, who believes her father's too overprotective, and after busting a frat party she was attending, uh, he takes her to a party full of millionaires where his ex-wife is. She is either an archaeologist or a paleontologist. Realising he has lost the fight with the land, Dakota uh, takes to the museum with a baseball bat and, with an ancient curse, brings to life the dinosaur skeletons in the museum. The skeletons then go on a rampage and begin killing everyone in the area. The owner of the world's largest light bulb collection is attacked and his CD collection is ruined, he falls in poo twice in the film. The sheriff drives into a skeleton of a raptor and breaks it. It magically puts itself back together, and shortly afterwards, the sheriff calls the army on his phone and gets the highest-ranking official, who is Corporal Johnson, to gather all the cadets and get all the firepower they have. All four army teenagers arrive, and the sheriff leads them uh, in using bazookas to blow up the skeletons of a T-Rex and pterodactyl. The bones then form together in a new type of hybrid monster. The sheriff's daughter, Savannah, and her loser boyfriend and Dakota head back to the museum to cast another spell to stop the dinosaur skeletons and learn that lightning can stop them. They do a potentially racially insensitive rain dance. Then the guy with the world's biggest light bulb collection hooks up a big electronic thing to zap the skeletons. A second potentially racially insensitive rain dance attracts another skeleton which they zap until they explode. They open up a new museum and the credits roll. Now, I think that was a fairly accurate uh, plot synopsis, unless there's something you want to add? No. Well, we'll discuss the, the plot and the inconsistencies, um, but uh, who was in the film? 
Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, Stephen Brand played Jake Roundtree. I think he was the protagonist, the, uh, the sheriff. sheriff. That's right, the hero. Uh, famous for TV series Mistress and uh, Helsing Ultimate and Teen Wolf. He certainly passes the aha test, as in, <laughs> I've never heard of him, but I recognized who it was as soon as he came onto my screen. Uh, Kirsty Mitchell played Emma Neal Roundtree, also famous from productions like being Natalia in the GoldenEye video game from 2010. That's right. So she was the professor, the archaeologist in the film, mm. and the wife of the sheriff, or rather the ex-wife. Uh, she's a Scottish actress, and so I'm not surprised that she's been in Hollyoaks as well. Ah. Uh, and another uh, production called You, Me, and the Apocalypse. Ah. Uh, now, help me with this name. Raul Max uh, Trulio? I um, have to see that spelt out. Trulio, I think the J is silent. I'm an outer national. <laughs> uh, he played Dakota, uh, who was the um, Native American. Mm. Uh, he's also starred in MacGyver, but in 2016, uh, as Can Opener. Don't know what that's about. True Blood. Cowboys and Aliens and Sicario. So he's oh, actually got a few big uh, productions to his name. Sorry, there was a MacGyver film in 2016? I didn't know that either. Ooh. There you go. Things you learn when you're on IMDb.com. Indeed. Gabriel Womack played the guy with the world's biggest light bulb collection. Uh, previous productions have included Law and Order SVU and Days of Our Lives. Oh, there you go. And of course, there was the university president, Richmond Keller, who was the boyfriend slash sexual predator of Professor Emma Roundtree. That's right. Um, and last but not least was Amelia Clark, uh, who, as we most likely know, is famous for playing Daenerys Targaryen in Game of Thrones, Terminator Genesis, and Futurama. And there we can go. actually look forward to seeing her in the upcoming Han Solo. Movie. Oh, and I do look forward to that. There you go. 2018. There you go. 2018. Yeah, 2018. Excellent. No, I thought we'd, we're just going to jump right ahead, miss 18,000 years, and we'll just get there. There we go. No. Um, look, um, so Daenerys was the daughter of uh, Sheriff Jake Roundtree and Professor Emma Roundtree, mm. and uh, she is in touch with her Native American roots because, as we see towards the end of the film, when her uncle or great-great-uncle Dakota can no longer do the uh, the rain dances, uh, she really um, she picks up that mantle and uh, and does the the Native American war dances or rain dances on his behalf. And when he was doing the original um, bit of black magic, uh, her eyes and his eyes both went uh, crystal white. No, it was, it was certainly something to behold. Yeah, he actually tried to re- uh, he actually tried to reverse the effects of his black magic by riding a horse backwards. And the first time we saw that, it was a bit taken back. Because um, they don't explain why he was doing that for another half hour. No, look, I, 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 do, I want to give the writers the benefit of the doubt that they really did a deep dive into the historical and cultural background of the local Native American nation that uh, lives in and around this particular town and that all of the rituals that we saw on the film were based in fact. But I'm not entirely convinced of that. I don't think so either. I mean, they were inside that museum there. They started a little fire. They're reading this ancient book. Um, the camera zooming in and out and they're uh, doing like nonsensical chants I mean I haven't seen the way that camera was zooming in and out it was unmistakable that this was a Native American ritual (laughs) I think there's probably a a phrase in uh, cinematography schools that uh, this is a Native American camera shot I think it's it's film photography 101 it's like hey guys in out in out before you learn anything else remember that in your career if you ever want to do a Native American ritual that's right. Get that zoom going on, right. the, on the camera. <laughs> um, so we should mention that of all the characters, there is a, there's a particular love triangle going on here. There's a Sheriff Jake Roundtree, husband to, or rather ex-husband to, or separated from 
Professor Emma Roundtree, who's going now by her maiden name of Neil. Um, she, I, I want to give the university president the benefit of the doubt that he's in a consensual relationship with Professor Roundtree, but that's not entirely clear from the film because she doesn't in any way respond to his advances, which can only be described as of a sexual predatory nature. Because along with that, he seemed to be a millionaire with lots of millionaire buddies, but mm. he didn't really have the class of someone I would expect from that. Mm. No, certainly not. But he was British, so that's uh, an easy way to tell that he's an outsider who doesn't play by the rules. He's only interested in money and tearing down the town. In order to, we should mention, expand a institute of high learning, so he's not an entirely bad guy. I suppose so. Mm. Um, and then we have Daenerys, as you said, the 16-year-old daughter of Sheriff and Professor Roundtree, who, from the looks of Professor Roundtree, she must have had Daenerys when she was like a 12-year-old herself, because <laughs> there is not much age between the two of them. No, there's not. They don't look very similar either. No. Not that, actually. No, they don't. And so what do you think about the riots? I mean, uh, this whole thing, this whole problem started because um, they did buy the land from the natives... Uh, and they, the native signed it, but the, apparently afterwards they didn't understand the paperwork. Oh, I didn't get that. Yeah, and that's why they were having the protest. So this is why I'm so happy I watch these films with you, because you take in a lot more detail than I do. I just sit there stewing for an hour and a half for my own frustration that the film doesn't make any sense, <laughs> but not you. You're sitting there studiously taking notes, understanding the entire backstory. So thank, right. thank you. No, you're very welcome to it. No beer for you, bro? What's up? Oh, sorry, I, um... Here, look, have mine. Now drop and give me 20, you piece of trash! Get down! I'm kidding, bro. Enjoy the party. Um, do you think they learned anything, um, those Native Americans, when a, a rich white guy comes along and says to them, hey, I'll buy this land from you? Just sign this sign on the dotted line. After, after Manhattan Gate, do you think that they would have gone, yeah, sure. <laughs> would, have, would have gone, hey, 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 I've seen this before. <laughs> because the Dutch colonists famously bought, um, and there are, there are rumours online that this is a myth, uh, the Dutch colonists bought Manhattan for 60 guilders, I think it was called, uh, which at the time they say was the equivalent to 24 US dollars. Oh, no. And I thought that would have been like a bit of a red flag mm. if you're a native and you see a white mm. guy going, hey, would you mind and just, yeah. just say no? Yeah, just uh, look, let's take the paperwork, we'll go away and think about it, have our lawyers look over it, that's and right. we'll get back to you. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think that's um, that's, that's sensible um, to always read whatever it is that you're asked to put your name to mm. um, and initial every single page. Right. Um, I think that makes sense. Um, certainly no harm in taking one's time in looking over these things, particularly when it's of such a... Uh, uh, of, of critical importance. Right, but yeah. it should be said that um, it really looked like it was just a few buildings from what was shown on the, the film that was actually being subject to the expansion of the university. Um, but as you mentioned as well, that after all the film was over, the, the university paid for a newly expanded and renovated museum mm. dedicated to local Native American culture and history. Everybody seemed happy with the outcome. Yeah, that was a win-win, except for all the dead people. So um, if we just come back briefly to the storyline and go through it bit by bit um, and I can discuss all my frustrations and get them off my chest. Um, <laughs> Sheriff and Professor Roundtree are going through a separation with um, Daenerys Targaryen living with um, her mother, Professor Roundtree. 
The sheriff does not want her to go to a particular party attended by some frack boys, Mm. but her mother decides to let her go anyway. That night, the professor is attending that millionaire's function where the president of the university is holding a fundraiser to get money for his expansion. And it's at that particular party that we we see the, uh, the leering and the disgusting, the sexual predatory nature of the president of the university. He really is a sexual harassment grievance claim waiting to happen. He certainly seems to tie research funding to sexual favours from her. But nonetheless, at that frat party is where we see Daenerys and her boyfriend, Matt. And Matt, who is trying to become a member of Alpha Omega Frat Club, he's been subject to bullying by another frat boy. And um, look, I, I, I don't understand the attraction of frat clubs or fraternities. Um, and I don't understand certainly why they have uh, Greek names. No. But this one's got a good one. I learned why they have fraternities. Ah. Uh, and that's because a few years ago I met um, a, a friend of a friend that was an American guy in a fraternity. And he said that when you go to these colleges and they're far away from you know, big cities and towns, um, there's not a lot to do. So you join a club. Okay. And that's where all your friends are. And that's there's always someone to spend time with and hang out. And, oh, right. And so it's, it's beneficial for your social life, definitely, to get involved. Okay. Yeah. Well, in this particular instance, the frat boy who was already a member of Alpha Omega was simply bullying Matt. He was at the first party where we were introduced to these characters. Um, and then subsequent to that, the next day, uh, when uh, Professor Roundtree is with her archaeology students out doing a field trip, alongside that, the frat party is down by the lake, um, again, doing more of these challenges, where we see Matt being bullied by the Alpha Omega Senior, uh, which I can say it's very satisfying when I see that particular boy get killed and eaten by that first uh, dinosaur. But um, alongside that, this is where the dinosaurs start to emerge after being freed the night before by Dakota. And as I said, Professor Roundtree is on an archaeology trip with her students. Two of them go missing, a nerd and a pretty hot girl. When they do go missing... What I found annoying was Professor Roundtree calling up the sheriff, her ex-husband, and demanding that he not send one to one of his deputies, that he personally take control and lead the search party, mm. seemingly absolving herself of any responsibility of putting these children in harm's way. And uh, I bet she must be thankful that she had them sign uh, some kind of indemnity waiver before yeah. they did, because, of course, they quickly turn up, or at least the remains of the students quickly turn up having been consumed by the dinosaur skeletons. I wonder if they're consumed or if they're just like, because these are just skeletons. They just kind of chewed and then kind of spat out. Yeah, because there's no... Drop through again. Yeah, the, there's just the skeleton. There's no digestive tract or anything like that that you would you would be swallowed into. Now you mentioned that she called him up and said, no, you personally have to come here. Yeah. He kind of plays by his own rules, this guy. Mm. He's a bit of a maverick. Do not the, get me started. First, he arrests someone but doesn't oh. lock them up and just oh. lets them go. He breaks into his ex-wife's house to, and just opens up a fridge and eats her food. Yeah. Um, and he's obviously got some kind of relationship with her where she finds it okay um, to call him away from uh, an official investigation to say, uh, can you can you come check this out? She didn't dial 911. She called his cell phone directly. This entire family is nepotistic. They don't seem to be afraid to use... Um, government resources for their own benefit. There's this crisis unfolding. Sheriff Roundtree, uh, as you said, calls the local military base and tells them to arm up and join the fight against the dinosaurs. In complete violation of the Posse Comitatus Act, um, 
which limits the powers of the US military being and d- domestically used inside the United States. There are exceptions, apparently. Um, Title 18 of the United States Criminal Code um, allows for the Attorney General to request the Secretary of Defence provide emergency assistance if domestic law enforcement is inadequate to address certain types of threats. Look, there's a process that you go <laughs> through. It's not just the sheriff ringing up the local base and saying, get your RPGs and come out here and kill some uh, dinosaurs. That's right. But on top of that, the person that he called on the phone uh, was a corporal. And that is the fourth lowest rank possible. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, because I just mentioned two other individuals, uh, Attorney General and Secretary of Defence, I can't recall, them being portrayed in the film. Well, no, because um, the phone call happened like this. Ring, ring. Um, <laughs> hello, army speaking. <laughs> Hi. Um, there was dinosaurs, something, something, something. Um, can I speak to your superior officer? And they said, no, they're all out of town at the moment. Oh, so right. who's the most superior officer there? And you go, that would be me, <laughs> Corporal. So there's private, second class, first class, and then something else I don't remember. And then there's Corporal. So he's, um, I don't know how long he's been in the Army for, but uh, not very long. These guys were teenagers when they arrived. Excellent. All, f- all four of them, all four of the Army. Where's your superior officer? Out of town. Um, Professor and Sheriff Roundtree. I'm right now. My superior officer. <laughs> well, to come back to the disgusting uh, nature of this family, Professor and Sheriff Roundtree are searching for Daenerys Targaryen amid a dinosaur attack on the university campus. They're driving around in the sheriff's police truck. Uh, Professor Roundtree demands the sheriff drive his truck to pick up the university president, her boyfriend. Mm. As he's driving, she leans over and honks the horn and yells at other people running away from the dinosaurs, get out of the way. At this stage, it's really obvious to me that the Roundtree family are just a bunch of selfish, (laughs) egotistical, dysfunctional individuals. And you know what? I don't think they've got their head screwed on at all. First of all, they get in the car. The car doesn't start. He clearly doesn't take care of his car. The wife goes... um, uh, the car won't start. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, I should have taken it in, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then at some point, maybe five minutes later, um, the Velociraptor skeleton puts a hole in the top of the car. Mm. Um, and he says, no one screws with my Jeep. Mm. But he doesn't care about his Jeep enough to take it to get service. Oh, indeed. How much does he love this car? Not much. But then it gets personal. Not only is his daughter missing and potentially yeah, eaten by right. a T-Rex, <laughs> it's when the Velociraptor puts a hole it in really his car. It really brings it home. Yeah. <laughs> that's when it's time to really... It's real. That's right. All right. The size of the velociraptors? Oh, there's only one raptor in this, so I always, uh, I guess after watching yeah. Jurassic Park, I've always sort of uh, yeah. gone that, you know, obviously, obviously, uh, velociraptors attack in packs yeah. of three, uh, but in this sort, there was only one. Yeah. The size uh, was the same size as a raptor in Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park fudged the size of the raptor. Oh. By, the size, by the time the velociraptor was fully <clears throat> grown, it like, had reached it, its evolutionary zenith. Yes. When the raptors were around... Oh, you're smart. <laughs> uh, they, were about, um, they were about a third of the size, uh. Uh, and they had feathers. If you look at the, the bones, uh, you see there's little like, um, holes in the bones where yeah. the feathers would go. Yeah. It's poop. I mean, I have no idea how these particular skeletons were flying, because you would imagine that regardless of their size, when they were around, they required the skin to... Give them that aerodynamic lift. Yeah. Yeah. 
They and they didn't have any muscles. They didn't have anything in this film. They were just simple skeletons. Mag- but you know what? It was magic, wasn't it? So what are we arguing? Against? Oh yes, it was CGI magic <laughs> indeed. But look, these animals, well, respective of when they lived and what they were, were the product of millions, if not billions, of years of evolution, even in their time. But as you said, when they drove over or they killed one of these particular, or, no, they killed two of them. They blew them apart. They came back together. The Tyrannosaurus Rex now had wings and was able to fly. That's right. Take but that as a comment. Once again, magic. What, what, what do we know? Yeah. I had a bit of a problem with those bones, actually. Oh, do you have a bone to pick with them? <laughs> That's humorous. Let's stay on track here. The skeletons of the dinosaurs in the museum, they animate, they came to life. They came to attack everyone that they saw. Mm. The thing that frustrated me about that is I did a bit of research after um, being to the London Museum, and I thought that can't possibly be the real dinosaur bones. And I went online, and they often keep the real bones out the back but make moulds, and they bring the moulds out, and the moulds become the statues. That sounds like uh, false advertising. There's some ethical issues there. Well, I mean, they're still like you know they're still beautiful to look at or inspiring. They're they're, they're big, and you can imagine what. They're Why bother having the real ones at all? Uh, look, I mean, sure, that's one argument, but they make them out of. <laughs> I haven't heard anybody argue it before. That's why. <laughs> and so I think that's the first one. But, so they weren't even ancient. Reckless. The, the reason they do that a lot of the time is out. yeah. What? The reason they do that a lot of the time is because they don't get in, they don't get complete skeletons yeah. from from the digs. Oh, so, so they're just rounding up. Yeah, and so they'll they'll fudge what they think the um, the. Humans. Why not put out on display what they have and just make up with fake bones, but make them a different color, like pink fluoro, so we can see. Oh, that's that's they've got they've got, oh, they've got most of the tail. There's a great argument for that. Mm. Um, I don't know why they haven't. Um, I'm putting forward really good arguments, aren't I? Let's take this to the, all the museums around the world. See how far we get. Season two is us pestering, uh, <laughs> knocking at Edinburgh's door, going, what the hell are you doing at the British Museum, buddy? <laughs> but um, so they use clay bones and stuff. And so these dinosaurs that are going around uh, Oregon, uh, destroying all these people's lives, uh, they're actually made of clay. They're not the real thing. Ah, well, I'm never visiting another museum for as long as I live now. I made that pact as soon as I finished high school. <laughs> Oh. I've also got a little bit of a bone to pick with the final scene. Leading up to that final scene, many people were killed. The sheriff's friend, who I assume is the deputy sheriff, he came out with a gun and he was trying to shoot the um, skeleton, the, the pterodactyl T-Rex. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that, that slapped him with its tail and he flew there and he was up by lightning yeah. midair and then um, that was the last time we saw him. Let's assume that he's dead. Yep. Um, Happily. As soon as the movie was finished, um, about you know ten minutes later, the sheriff wasn't like, "Oh, where's my best buddy that I told to go and look for my daughter?" Yeah. Once again, it's the selfish family. Indeed, using police resources to protect his own family. Didn't check up on his mate. Mm-mm. As soon as they destroyed the dinosaur skeleton, yeah, he went back to grounding his daughter yeah. instead of looking for his dead buddy. That's right. No, it was terrible. It was he's 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 a terrible sheriff. He's a terrible public servant. He's a terrible husband, and he's a terrible father. I don't think that he was a good role model. No. Especially, I mean, he's heartless as well. He's so into his own family that when his daughter was potentially ripped to pieces by a monster by the lake, um, he went to the lake and he saw a dead body here, a dead body there, dead bodies scattered around the ground. 
After finding out that none of them were his daughter, he was fine. That's right. He ran down to one particular female victim by the water and his ex-wife yells out, is it her? And he checks her pulse and turns her over and it's not. And he says, it's not her. Sweet. Fine. <laughs> Let's go on. Get into that government-issued police truck. We're going to go and find our daughter. With army. <laughs> With the army. That's right. I've got them on speed dial. <laughs> Yeah, let's go through some of the quotes in the film. I mentioned that when Professor Roundtree was out with some students on an archaeological dig, there was a hot girl and a nerd walking through the, the forest together looking for uh, who knows what, wherein a pterodactyl makes a noise and the hot girl says, what was that? And the nerd replies, I don't know, to which she responds, I thought you were smart. <laughs> it's about as good as it gets. Well, um, Another one. The university president says, if you look behind me, you'll see a room full of millionaires dying to open their checkbooks over the legendary bone digger, the one with the good legs. That was one of the least creepy things that he said. Yeah, it's got undertones of probably the most charming thing that he said. Uh, Look, back to her about how how much of a a manipulative individual that she was. Um, She was, I think, dating this guy and wanted his car to go find her daughter again. Um, there's a bit of a theme here, um, to which he said, no, I'm coming with you. Um, and he did. He drove her to find her daughter, wherein she's also reunited with her husband, ex-husband. And she says to him, I want to get back with you. I love you. Come back to me. Mm. It's just, she's she's hot and cold, this person. Yeah. You know, there's a name for people like her. It goes it's not a nice word. No. <laughs> On the military base, when uh, the high-ranking corporal is getting his men ready, one of them says, uh, locked and loaded and ready for duty, sir. To which he responds, cool. <laughs> Who wants the RPG? <laughs> We're handing them out here. Yeah. Look, that was probably one of the, the... There were a couple of light-hearted moments in the film. That was one of them, for example. The guy with the world's greatest light bulb connection, again. But it was almost like they had a team of uh, scriptwriters. Only one of them was really funny. Um, and he only worked part-time. <laughs> um, maybe Monday, Wednesday. And he just got what he could done. Yeah, and then in the other times, it was uh, just some other guy who uh, just wrote a B-grade film who sat down and watched, you know, Asylum films, um, <laughs> wrote a script based on that. Set the bar based on Megashark versus Crocosaurus. Yeah, that's right. Move, Not fast enough! What do you think, after the first series uh, finish of Game of Thrones, uh, what do you think went through Amelia Clark's head uh, when this... Who's Amelia Clark? Daenerys. Oh, yeah. What do you think was going through Daenerys' head after she finished the first season of Game of Thrones, but this movie was yet to make the screens? Because it was just on the cusp, if you look at the timing. This is a 2010 film. I believe uh, Games of Thrones was about 2010. I think she walked out of one set and onto the other. She would have just been calling up her agent, just saying, I'm on a winner here. Can you cancel that other film? I don't care what you do. Stop it from being released. Do you think that she walked onto the set of Game of Thrones and said, oh, this is what a cast and crew looks like. This is what making a movie is all about. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) There's a director? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Real cameras? (laughs) You're a what writer? A bit of stuff. A script writer? Oh, okay. I think you'll find it's Games of Thrones. Oh, okay. There's multiple games occurring. (laughs) 
so uh, look, let's play that game that we always play. It's called um, searchimdb.com, where I type the title of the film into that popular website's search engine, and we see how long it takes for the film name to pop up. And that, for us, is a proxy indicator of just, in fact, how popular the film is. So I'm going to type in Triassic Attack and see how far we get. T. What do we get when I type in T? Nothing nice. comes up. R. Here we are. There's a uh, an individual called T.R. Knight. The first film that comes up is T2 Trainspotting. T.R.I. There's a film called Try. Trier. Maze Runner. The Scorch Trials. Yeah. What's this film called again? What's the next letter? Uh, Triassic. Ah, there you go. Trias. Triassic Attack 2010. Starring Sorry. Stephen Brand and Kirsty Mitchell. It doesn't even say starring Amelia Clark. Who's that? Daenerys. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't. So I'd like to go over some of the user reviews uh, that other people have made about this film. Please. Uh, one person gave it two stars out of ten and said, um, this movie should have been a fossil that was never dug up or discovered. Ah, how humorous. Yeah. Uh, Wes Connors uh, gave it three out of ten and called <laughs> And called it a Tyrannosaurus wreck. <laughs> uh, more rubbish from the Sci-Fi Channel. Lame, but not the worst I've seen from Sci-Fi. Worst actors ever. Dreadful, although not entirely the worst. Fun romp in Bulgaria with some bony creatures. Don't know what that's about, but I'm not going to read it. That's uh, that's kind of about it. There weren't any uh, there weren't any overwhelmingly positive reviews on IMDb. That's surprising. Hey, you know that uh, the pterodactyls can fly, right? Yeah. Do you know what else can fly? Brandon Ruth. That's right. Because he was Superman. He was too, wasn't he? And he also starred in a film called Lost in the Pacific. Which you gave how many instead of uh, five? Certainly only three. If I could turn back time. Like Superman could in one of those episodes where he flew around the earth backwards. Yes, he did. Very, very controversially one of the worst storylines ever, apparently, of Superman's. Well, that wasn't Brandon's fault. That was Christopher Reeve. I don't... I think it was the people that wrote... That wrote the thing in the first place. Oh right, I, I'm incorrectly blaming cast. Can we talk about uh, Can we talk about the hazing, please? Yeah. When they were being hazed, uh, it was at the party uh, when uh, Daenerys had just walked in with her uh, boyfriend, who was a bit of a loser. That's not why I brought this up. He had like the typical like um, you know earrings and goatee and just like just a real like sort of twit. Like you would have seen like some like average boy band sort of back in the mid nineties. Yep. But he was this pledge, and the, obviously we spoke about the bully before with the hat on backwards. And he's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll have your beer. Then he's like, no, great, no, drop, drop down and give me 20. Yeah. He's like, oh, are you serious? And like, it's, you know, it's humiliating, I guess, especially if you're there with a girlfriend or potential girlfriend. And then afterwards, uh, the, the second round of hazing is there at the lake, and they had a little bathtub full of ice cubes, I think, was it? I don't really know. And they said, like, the last person in has to do some crap, I don't remember. Yeah. Now, that, that seems like pretty PG-rated hazing. Yep. Uh, I watched the movie Goat a while ago uh, with one of the Jonas Brothers, and um, apparently... Is your description PG-rated? I'm going to adhere to the codes of Popcorn. Number one, pledges are forced to drink alcohol until they vomit. Ooh. Number two, pledges are forced to strip and dunk their heads into a tank full of hot dogs. Uh-huh. Um, uh, number three, four, five, and six... Um, and seven uh, don't fit within popcorn guidelines number eight the pledge class is forced to drink an entire keg of beer in an hour 
Uh, number nine, a pledge is forced into a cage, and that doesn't make our guidelines either. Number ten, fraternity brothers cover a pledge's entire face and hands in masking tape. Uh, Eleven, pledges are lined up so frat brothers can throw rotten fruit at them, uh, at one point hitting someone in the head so hard that they suffer a concussion. Uh, and pledge number 12 uh, certainly doesn't match our guidelines either. So what is the purpose of joining a frat? Solely for the purpose of then being able to inflict the same punishments on other people? Well, there are two things there. The first reason to join a frat, as we mentioned before, is because uh, in a community where you don't know anybody, it's a very good way to, to be a part of something, to make friends. Um, and, uh, and secondly, I think with frats, from what I understand from watching the movie Goat, is that the hazing initiation gets worse every year. So apparently in the first year, they might just have to you know, drink a keg of beer amongst themselves a night or something like that. But then every year, it steps up and steps up and steps up. And that's what this movie was actually about uh, until one of the pledges uh, died from heart failure. Oh, wow. And they, they linked it back to some, um, some stress that he had earlier on in the hazing ceremony. It's terrible. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the scoring component of the program, where we will give the film a number of kernels out of five. And uh, James, do you have any final thoughts um, to give along with your final score? I think that not a lot of thought went into this film and the production qualities were average at best. I think they had money to spend and didn't spend it wisely. And even for a B-grade film, I think they shot themselves in the foot more than they needed to. So I'm going to give this... uh, Maybe one and a half out of five kernels of popped corn. Thoughts? Look, it certainly had everything that a B-grade film had to offer. A formulaic storyline with inconsistencies, a poor production quality, a less-known or a has-been cast, low-budget and, to a degree, laughable quotes. Although the film opened with a nice, continuous, extended camera shot introducing key characters, the film only could boast crappy CGI. And although Daenerys went on to be quite famous... She was playing an all-town American girl. However, her English accent kept on popping through. And ultimately, all I could keep on thinking about was what we were going to have for lunch. At the end of the day, I felt that the storyline was toothless and the characters rather spineless. So in good conscience, I can only give the film one kernel out of five. Wow, is that the last uh, score you've given this whole season? I think it is. Speaking of seasons... Speaking of seasons, this is our last episode and with it closes our first season, but we look forward to coming back next season. With more B-grade films. And more to offer and more to talk about and more to critique and more frustrations to share with you. We'd like to give a shout out to uh, Fun and the guys at Boys Who Brunch. Brilliant podcast, very funny, very topical. They recommended that we watch this film. Uh, We'd also like to thank our unpaid intern, Archie. He performs a thankless task. Certainly, I haven't thanked him once this season, and um, but we look forward to having him back next season because he makes the show possible. With that, we conclude this episode and the season, but we look forward to seeing you and talking to you next season. I've been Maxie. I've been James. And we've been Popped Popcorn. Corn.